Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in this space and help lead the charge toward a more decentralized web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with our guest, Colborn Bell. He is the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, or MOCA. This is a museum on the metaverse. It's super cool stuff. I've been following them on Twitter for a while. I'm really excited to have Kobe here to talk more about what it is. So welcome. Thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure, Diana. Thanks to you and uh, the Unstoppable Podcast for having me. Of course, of course. So before we dive into Mocha, I want to know a little bit more about your background and what got you interested in crypto in the first place. So take me all the way back to when you first got exposed to crypto. Like, what was it about crypto that piqued your interest? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's relevance. You know, it was based on an article I read about the founder of a early prediction market called Intrade. Uh, he was an avid mountain climber. He was summoning Mount Everest and had a heart attack at the top and unfortunately passed away. And the article went on to explain how the idea of prediction markets was being carried forward. What really fascinated me was the ability for groups of people all over the world to be betting on outcomes of any certain event. And those prediction results would, you know, at their consensus, be more accurate than any certain like panel of experts. So where this took me was was to Augur. And it took me to the rep cryptocurrency. And I was just like, I, I need to have this. I need to have this. How do I get it? Uh, Coinbase to Ethereum to Poloniex, you know, into the troll box. And yeah, that's really where my crypto adventure kicked off. Once I found and understood Ethereum, I took every kind of last dollar I had in like February of 2017 and just threw it in. And, you know, then I found Golem and then I was playing the ICO markets aggressively. And I guess, as they say, kind of the the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you got a pretty degen pretty early on, just threw everything in a crypto. (laughs) Yeah. It all speaks to kind of like this path that I wound through finance and social impact work and trying to, you know, bend the rules of the financial system to create the effect that I wanted to see. Uh, when I found crypto, especially like Ethereum and the smart contract capability and, and the ability to do trustless financing and the ability to kind of be a seed investor on venture ideas that I liked all over the world, it was this mechanism that really kind of captured my attention and I guess perhaps risk appetite at the time. Clearly, that was a pretty high risk appetite. But uh, no, that's awesome. Um, And so did you come from any sort of art background? Or like, when did you first start to notice uh, the potential of the intersection between crypto and art? It's a great question, right? So one of those ICOs that I participated in was Decentraland. And, you know, following the, the mana ICO, the land auction, when Decentraland, you know, officially launched, I think it was January of 2020, 
I fell back into the virtual world space and then I fell in love with uh, the aesthetic of Somnium space and the fact that it was VR forward. And, you know, I went inside this world and it was really just at the time green grass and blue skies. So it was kind of a question of, again, like, what is the world that you want to create? What is the world that you want to see? I knew that it was not going to be anything that I could do alone, but it would have to be in partnership with digital creators. And the quickest way that I found to, you know, build these partnerships was was through NFTs. I remember, you know, somebody had in- introduced me to Super Rare as a potential equity investment. Um, and kind of in just wanting to do some due diligence, I began using their platform and, and found it to be, you know, really an, an incredible experience. And then once I started to see, you know, what we were doing, I felt like the same way that cryptocurrency was disintermediating banks. Well, we could apply this similar mindset to a very rigid power entrenched structure like the art world. And we could start to identify and build a crypto culture that was one of our own choosing in the way that artists present a visual language for very abstract concepts such as, I don't know, data sovereignty, privacy, uh, immutability, uncensorability, uh, the ability of, you know, an open access network like Ethereum to invite anybody all over the world with internet connection to be able to participate. And I saw it as a mechanism to onboard another round of adopters. And I thought that this visual language uh, would be able to speak to people beyond what the mainstream media was presenting this to be, mainly a perhaps like mechanism for illicit activity, money laundering, you know, drug users. And once I realized that we could present like a beautiful side of this culture and we could start to put crypto in the hands of artists who would be able to kind of like, you know, artists generally at their core are, are, you know, emotional and volatile people. So I, I felt that they could kind of withstand these swings better than a a traditional investor and then also that they could bring you know more right brain creative applications to something that was pretty closely held by uh technologists and programmers and devs yeah for sure so when was it that you first got exposed to nfts and when you first heard about nfts did it just make sense to you intuitively or did it take you a little bit to understand, you know, how is there so much value behind a digital piece of artwork? I guess first exposure, I, I'd have to go back and run the timeline. It would either have been Mooncats or CryptoKitties. Uh, I was one of those like original Mooncat rescuers. And I remember kind of sitting there at the computer uh, with my sister and like explaining to her about MetaMask and Ethereum and like, we were, you know, on the moon adopting these, uh, you know, these like JPEG cats. And it was all just kind of fun and silly. And, and, and CryptoKitties was the same way. And then, of course, like the virtual land and Decentraland made sense. 
but I guess it was kind of a, you know, from there, like a, a multi-year quiet period before I really began to explore what it meant to bring a kind of a use case to these NFTs and what we could do at the intersection of architecture, design, and these NFTs as artwork where it really just like clicked for me. Yeah, for sure. And so we're going to be talking a lot more about NFT. So before we go any further, how would you explain what an NFT is to a newbie or maybe to somebody who has had exposure to NFT, but is one of those naysayers, you know, like still doesn't believe that there's any value of NFTs? Like, how would you explain uh, what an NFT is to somebody like that? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because there is just like this great digital divide, right? You you don't have to explain an NFT to somebody that is, you know, 15 years old, right? Like they understand like a custom skin in Fortnite. They understand, you know, the, the social clout that that carries. Um, they understand like why they want to have that and what it means within their their friend group and what it means to kind of own a digital item and to display a digital item. It's generally, you know, an older generation that that doesn't understand this because they're so grounded in it has to be physical. And, you know, the, the crypto community gets it because, you know, they understand that you don't have to hold a Bitcoin to own a Bitcoin. And they understand that a Bitcoin is really just, you know, an, an idea and it's backed by computer code. And, and it's kind of the same thing here. You know, what is an NFT? Well, it, it is really just a digital certificate of authenticity. Uh, and it can be applied to anything. It can be applied to art. It can be applied to blockchain games. It can be applied to, you know, writing, poetry. Um, it just, in my mind, signifies the act of creation as, you know, anybody could bring or create something into the physical world. We are just certifying it and bringing it into the digital world. For sure, for sure. All right, so let's talk about Museum of Crypto Art. You started Mocha back in April 2020, I believe. It, it's been just over a year. You started it with one of your longtime buddies, Pablo. How did you guys get the idea for it? The inspiration, at least on, on my side, came from a museum trip that I had taken to central Brazil. You know, I had spent eight years in New York City going to all the museums there. Uh, but this museum in Brazil called Inhochim was completely new and, and different to me. And it was a multi-acre kind of walking park that was dotted with different artist exhibitions. You weren't necessarily kind of like guided through white marble halls, but really the space was open to you to explore. And when I went into virtual reality for that first time, uh, it was a similar feeling because you could see something in the distance that attracted your eye and then you were pulled to it. So instead of being on like a curated guided tour through like the Renaissance paintings to, you know, whatever, it was more freeform. And it was an experience that I thought people would want to kind of recreate from the comfort of their homes and the ability, you know, and then once you, you, you start to just go deeper, the, the benefits of having these types of experiences are, are astronomical. I mean, incredibly scalable, right? At the end of the day, there is practically infinite digital land. 
You can, you can uh, have an idea for an exhibition. You can build it for free. You can fill it with the artwork that you have and you can spin up something in less than a week. And, you know, there's no cost to store anything. So effectively, you know, your, your costs are reduced exponentially and the access that you grant people to artwork is, you know, as simple as them needing a, an internet connection. Yeah, for sure. And so when, when you first started it, what was your, like, your big picture vision for Mocha? And then how, if at all, has that evolved over the last year? Uh, it was pretty, pretty wild at the time, you know, when we started, you know, there was, you could probably count the number of large collectors on a single hand, right? And most of these collectors were, you know, generally just putting these artworks into cold storage. Uh, so as crazy as it sounds, like the big innovation at the time was just to begin to show use case, to build the structures and to create immersive experiences. And I don't think the, the narrative has very much shifted from that. As the space has grown, kind of so has our necessity to focus on more group shows as opposed to kind of like individual artists and, and individual styles. Um, so only in, you know, the whole space expanding has kind of like the scope, mi mission and vision kind of expanded to include more and more um, of the incredible artists that are in this space. Yeah. And, and so maybe it's a good time to back up a little bit and tell people more about what Mocha is for anybody listening who hasn't actually checked out Mocha or heard of you guys. Like explain to those people, like what, what even is Mocha? Like what can they expect to see um, in the museum? Like where is it hosted nowadays, et cetera? You know, Mocha in and of itself takes many different forms, right? For me, like the purest realization of the vision is the 3D immersive experience in Somnium Space. It's also accessible via the, the web browser of Somnium Space. We have our next week going to be launching uh, in Decentraland. So the idea is to begin to give to people whatever it is that they can access, right? At, at the end of the day, this is to me about like the democratization of arts and the ability to access art. We will continue to be like metaverse agnostic. We will push into different worlds. We just did an exhibition with Hakatao and Da Vinci in a new world called Arium. It is kind of very free form. It doesn't, you know, there is that central museum building insomnium space. And for me, that is kind of like the best experience, although you, we, we fully recognize that not everybody has access to VR or a high-powered gaming PC. And, you know, the more places that we can begin to experiment and, and showcase just different artworks and different types of um, novel ways for people to understand why NFTs are important and are going to be the future of art ownership and viewership is our goal. You guys have a little plot of land in crypto voxels too, or am I dreaming? It's another museum of crypto art. Oh, it's a different one. It's a different one. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, cool. So I, I want to talk about, you know, like how how you curate your art and what goes into that. So what is the process of your art curation 
like? Is it just like you and Pablo collecting art for the museum or are there members of MoCA that all contribute towards collecting? And then is like, is it like a group decision or is it just like the members, like whatever art they're collecting personally gets displayed? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So Pablo and I, we split in December. So it was this kind of new conception of the museum has kind of been put forward in, you know, my vision of what I think crypto art is and and represents. You know, the first thing I guess that I did was to go and build a, a nonprofit foundation for this. So it really is a kind of like true museum model in that by mandate of that foundation, none of the artworks that come into the museum can ever be sold. Uh, so it was really meant to kind of strip away what I saw as, you know, rampant speculation in the market and return the conversation to the art. Now, when, uh, I am kind of like curating for the museum, I go back to kind of what I was talking about in the beginning of, of what is kind of the innovation and revolution that blockchain as a medium of expression unlocks for artists all over the world, right? So the idea is that, you know, it can be much more diverse and representative and kind of like post form and post aesthetic, just kind of recognizing that everybody's creative expression is coming from a point of validity and to call it art. Uh, I generally look for works that exist on the fringes, kind of having seen so, so much of the market. I think I'm quick to either like identify new styles or people who are working in new ways. Um, and I at all times kind of seek to bring the fringe closer to the middle to kind of draw a bigger and bigger circle around the question of, of what is art. Got it. Got it. And I saw on your website that there's a permanent collection. So I assume there's also like a collection that moves around. And so what determines like what pieces of art go into the permanent collection versus the rotating one? So the fact of the matter is, is like I've collected thousands of NFTs, right? I've collected thousands of pieces of crypto art. You know, we built the the Mocha token as a means to effectively turn this museum over from a single curatorship, my curatorship, into a bit of a quasi-DAO, quasi-curatorship structure with the goal of making it kind of a fully curated independent vehicle by the Mocha token holders. Um, this is certainly like something that has never been done before. So... In the initial launch of this, I took 160 pieces from 160, you know, what I consider to be foundational crypto artists and donated them to the foundation. And that was called the Genesis Collection. It is a ideological subset of the permanent collection. Um, and now we're in this period where we're inviting other collectors who want to kind of fill in the gaps of this Genesis collection with the artists that they think are important to also donate those pieces in exchange for the Mocha token to have like future governance and curatorial rights over 
what I consider to be a a true kind of community collection. We're just now processing 41 donations, 41 pieces from 41 different artists. The idea here is that the Genesis collection is meant to honor and recognize all of those who really believed in what a new creative economy paradigm could look like. And they positive, like they had positive influential contribution to the space prior to the, the economic boom. So meaning that they were like attracted here for, for ideological reasons and just kind of want to cement their position and recognize, you know, their impact in kind of creating the sparks that stoked this ember that lit this fire. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So I have a couple of questions from that. The first is, can anybody donate art to Mocha in exchange for the Mocha token? Or do you have to be like an artist or, you know, a collector that has a reputation or something like that? Look, I mean, we are, we are totally open to anybody donating any work that they wish. There's just a couple rules with the Genesis collection. One is that uh, it's only one artwork per artist, right? This is kind of, it's meant to be kind of a, a fair distribution mechanism. Um, so everybody has like at least their one piece in here. Uh, two is that a for the Genesis collection, a collector has to kind of donate on behalf of an artist, right? Because it, it would have frankly just been too much, I think, to handle all of the artist requests, but if a collector cares and feels so passionately that an artist is included, I want to kind of reinvite again those direct conversations between collectors and artists. You know, artists have come to me and, and I say, like, just go have a, a conversation with one of these collectors. I'm sure they would be very happy to donate it to uh, the collection on your behalf. Um, the, you know, the added mechanism that we've put in here to kind of incentivize more people wanting to donate and be involved is that, you know, we did a airdrop of 3% of our token supply to all of the OpenSea users prior to December 2020. Uh, the pool of unclaimed tokens from this will be distributed pro rata to all of the Genesis artists. So it's also meant to like return the voice and power to the what I consider to be kind of like the ideological creators and the people who really bootstrapped and lifted up this market. Super cool. Uh, and then another question I had was, is the only way to get Mocha tokens by donating a piece of art or, you know, being part of that airdrop you just talked about? Is there any way can you just buy Mocha tokens so that you can get in on the curatorial process in the future? Um, so we launched to, we launched on Polygon. Uh, so it is, there are some big liquidity pools on QuickSwap. Uh, this was all done so we could, you know, quickly and efficiently, uh, utilize, uh, or I guess effectuate that, you know, 30, whatever it is, 2000 person open C user airdrop. And then this week we'll be just building a, a liquidity pool on Uniswap so that, you know, pretty much anybody can at least get these tokens however they would like. Very cool. And then you said that you're sort of using like a quasi DAO model right now. What I'm just curious to know, like what your future plans on 
that are, are you planning on turning Mocha into a full-on DAO? Or like, how do you see the voting process working? You know, once all these people have Mocha tokens, they want to be part of the curatorial process with voting on like which art pieces make it into the collection in the future. Like how, how will that play out? Uh, I'll say that I personally just don't think that the DAO tech stack is ready for like true DAO governance. And at this point, we see really just kind of like a lot of, I think, follow on voting and not the types of like discussion or engagement that I'd like to see. Um, so, you know, the mechanisms that we have up right now are just the ability to kind of sign on chain both comments and likes to artworks so we're starting to just kind of filter out what are everybody's opinions um you know uh, around this collection and you know we have like a pretty rudimentary snapshot page set up and we're you know we're building just out we have a dev uh grant program launch that's going to help us build these tools we're looking very closely like at how people build identity and community around the types of works that they like. Uh, I'm hyper, hyper fascinated. And we're working to build this now, the idea of a virtual curator. Um, so just training, you know, some sort of AI machine learning algorithm like GPT-3 to be able to, you know, answer questions that people have about these artworks. So you could you could ask it, you know, when was this piece minted? What is the story of this artist? What are artists, you know, that are creating in a similar style so that, you know, people can start to understand, you know, like the the power of of the digital. And we can kind of be creating this, I guess, you know, historical capture mechanism where whereby like many people feel very lost when they enter the space you know so i want the museum to kind of be that first reference point where people can go they can find the original creators they can learn about their stories they can hear when their first piece minted was how many pieces they've created who else is creating like them and then begin to kind of find you know what it is they care and are passionate about within the space and yeah, you know, for me, it, it was all about the connections that I was building with artists and collectors and how do we kind of create that similar feeling for new entrants to the space. Yeah, I think that's a very good goal and mission. Um, and then I'm also wondering, like, because you've collected thousands of pieces of art, you know, is there a way that you can explain to people what makes a piece of art good or valuable. And I know a lot of it is just like you've got a trained eye, but is is there any way to explain that out or no? Um, art is only valuable to the conversation that it sparks in you and others. I think we as a crypto community and, and collectors kind of gave artists the mandate to go out and look into the void and like bring that back to tell us like what is it that you see what is like the future what are you know you worried about in this very early stage kind of like transhuman narrative that we're on and and we're sitting at such an interesting point in time in humanity's relationship with technology uh that you know people have 
have sounded the alarms of of how do we make how do we imbue this technology with more human qualities and how do we use it kind of not to like enslave us but how do we use it to really empower us and i think if we can't put like artists and creatives at the forefront of that discussion where they can relay back to us either like the hope and promise or the dangers and the pitfalls then we're doing ourselves a great disservice as humanity to kind of forget the things that ultimately make us human which are you know our emotions and you know the way we connect and the love that we spread and share instead of kind of like turning it over to kind of cold hard algorithms that might make decisions based on pure efficiency or logic yeah for sure it's more about like the story behind the artwork or the intent of the artist or whatever it represents to the collector or to the viewer of the art you know with that in mind like do you have what are some of your favorite pieces of art that um, people can see in mocha and like why are those important to you oh i mean there's so many to name like when when people ask me this question there is like one story that was very, um, I guess, powerful in, in my journey. And that was the artist that we did our first solo show with. His name was Ryolite. And he created this piece called One True Path. And it's a generative piece. Um, he worked a lot kind of like in hexagons, but it's red. And at the end, there's kind of like this pulsating yellow light. And it, and it moves and, and, and transforms. And, um, I fell in love with that piece. And, and that was like the impetus to ask him to do that first solo show. And, you know, about a week after, um, we did that solo show, he passed away in his sleep. And it was just like such a, a profound and powerful realization to me because he was somebody that was, always so community forward and he was very concerned with how like a how as a community we rewrite these rules but also more in like what we share and and how we kind of teach people to elevate their practice so like whenever i feel lost i kind of just always go back to that piece and think about like what is the 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 one true path here and it always just returns me to like him and his ideals and, you know, just kind of wanting to uplift and share and also kind of like the immortality and the immutability that a blockchain provides. Like when you bring a digital artwork to, you know, a, a blockchain, you start to play in like almost the, the realm of the immortal that the, the physical world can never achieve. Um, it's, it's certainly likely that that work will outlive, you know, whatever it is, the Mona Lisa or the statue of David, it's all about, for me, like how we transcend the physical, we move into the digital and we do it with, you know, like still the, the human qualities that, you know, led us to this point, if that makes sense. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on NFTs and the metaverse. 
in general, like when you think about these things, where do you see that being in the next year, let's say? It's so wild because, you know, opportunities keep coming that, that I would never have dreamed of. Like I would never have thought a year ago when the museum was just starting that we would be here. Right. So I know for a fact that like the pace of technology and adoption does not slow down. Right. So I fully expect, you know, we're going to get like pretty good AR glasses and that's going to invite like a whole new digital overlay to our physical world. And then VR technology will catch up. And then I fully expect that um, in the same way that people are attached so closely to, you know, their smartphones or their computers, like in a year's time, I would love to be having this conversation with you, like in the Mocha Sculpture Garden. And we could be recording it like as we walk through and we look at these beautiful 3D objects um, and just inviting kind of more of a sense of experience and closeness and connection and kind of recognizing that all of this was really born out of the coronavirus pandemic, of course, where we were all kind of forced to go back to ourselves and, you know, like our our oneness and strip away all of the you know whatever the general like context of our lives um and kind of rebuild from scratch and just you know be open to meeting new people and presenting you know perhaps more like truer versions of our identity um the way like we feel and express and uh i I think the metaverse is going to just open up so many new opportunities for people to be more of themselves and to be more like honest and open and sharing and less judgmental and prejudiced, perhaps the ability to kind of like create more empathy for other people's experiences um, and the ability to just like freely share and, and collaborate. I would love to bring you back on the podcast in a year and be recording this in the Mocha Sculpture Garden. In fact, you know, whenever whenever this technology actually becomes realized and we can record VR in, you know, Decentraland or Somnium Space or wherever, you'll be the first guest I bring on the podcast and record virtually. So uh, hopefully that'll be in a year. I, I hope if it's in a year, I will be so happy but, you know, if it takes a few years, I get it, too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, like we could do it today. It's just difficult. Right. So I think we can do it in a year. Let's uh, let's bookmark it. Let's do it. I love that. And then this might be a tougher question to answer. But if you could time travel 10 years into the future, what do you see around you? Like, how is society operating? What are people thinking about NFTs? How are people interacting between the physical world and the metaverse? Like, just describe to me what you see if you could, you know, just imagine plopping yourself into the future, 10 years into the future. I, I always say that, like, creativity is the currency of the future, right? We will continue to, like, automate. Um, we will continue to, you know, there will be less service jobs and people will be less required to work with kind of their hands and bodies. Instead, they will be asked to work more with their minds. 
and the way that you creatively use technology stacks to create value and output will be what I think is most important. And it doesn't mean, you know, having to be a developer or programmer or have hard coding skills. It can be, you know, like systems engineering and design. But how do we take, you know, I love this project because it puts me in the middle of three things that, that I love, which is blockchain art and then like AR, VR tech. Um, so how do we create like synthesis among all of these different groups to create and, and show new experiences. It's all an exercise in creativity and a reimagining of what is possible. Um, so in 10 years, you know, I, I expect us to be, you know, doing majority of our business, uh, in metaverse environments. I think it'll just be more fun. It'll invite more personal interaction. You know, why would you ever kind of perhaps like fly to meet investors when you could just put on a VR headset and go meet them in whatever beautiful, surreal building that they've created filled with artwork? Uh, because it, at the end of the day, it speaks to culture. And I think the metaverse now is, is at a stage that would be analogous to, you know, somebody building a web page in, in 1995. So I think social and, and the spatial web, and how, you know, it, it translates into uh, social engagement and interaction is really where we're heading. For sure, for sure. And then I'm also curious, too, with the first part of this year being all about NFT art predominantly, what do you see as being some of the next NFT use cases that are going to be really big? Yeah, it, it was actually very, very strange to me that art led. I didn't expect art to lead. Um, I really expected blockchain gaming to lead. Um, so I think we will see, you know, more worlds and I think we'll see more, you know, adoption around gaming, uh, mainly because gamers just get crypto. It's very second nature. I think we've seen some interesting, you know, use cases so far, uh, but money will pour in. I, I think we've about saturated, and I'm, you know, of course not totally, but like the market for still images or animations or, or kind of like flat NFTs. I expect to see more like 3D objects and sculptures. I expect people to kind of like tokenize worlds and environments. And I expect artists to kind of expand their canvas to not just create like a minute long animation, but to create a fully immersive world uh, where, where people are having like art experiences and then you can kind of own that experience. Yeah, super cool. What's happening with Mocha in the near future that you can tease? Obviously, the Mocha token was just launched recently, so a uh, lot's going on there. But anything, anything else exciting that's happening with Mocha in the near future that you can share with our listeners? It'll probably be too late, but Friday we're doing something for Crypto Art Asia. Um, we're doing a live stream with Crypto Argentina. We are going to be doing just several exhibits through throughout the summer. Um, we will be at NFT NYC the first week of November speaking. I think we'll probably be throwing some some parties there. I would just expect like more 
uh, use case and utility for the Mocha token, the virtual curator, as I kind of discussed, um, the ability to, of building like subset communities of Mocha members. Um, so just, you know, more experiences, more social opportunities, uh, both in, in the metaverse and in real life and, and growing the collection. Awesome. Awesome. I'm planning on being in New York for NFT NYC. So looking forward to meeting in person and hitting up some of those parties. I know it's going to be a good time. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right. So I, I end every podcast episode with a segment called Explain Your Tweet. This is where I dig through your Twitter, pull out some interesting or cryptic tweets and give you a chance to explain it. It's like how they do in Hot Ones. I've just got one for you. I know you do a lot of retweets of the Mocha Twitter account. Um, so it's it's mostly Mocha content, but I've got one here. This is from July 5th, 2021. You said, there is no alpha on Twitter for NFTs. Twitter is for connecting artists and collectors and having broad conversations on the state of the industry and where we are going. If you're investing in a project based on what someone on Twitter says, you're late and not going to make it. <laughs> so uh, do you want to talk more about what you mean by that and like where is the right place to be getting information about like where to what to collect or like what artists are new and that you should be paying attention to? I mean, look, like you, you got to do it yourself. Like if somebody is telling you something, this is a, a market of like speculators, you know? So if they're telling you to buy something, they own it. Like they're, they're only hyping their own bags. And I saw way too much of this in, in 2017. Twitter is just a platform to amplify voice. But if you are not like in the market, creating your own voice, like go into the markets and follow what's happening on the activity pages of the markets. You know, find a collector whose voice you uh, connect with and see what they're doing. And, you know, if there is an artist that you like, go talk to that artist. Like, you really got to do it yourself. You can't let anybody tell you what to do. Um, you know, discourse is a little better. It happens a little bit quicker. I think Twitter is just like the last stage of this game. It's it's It was never a good place in 2017 to get investment advice. It's still not a good place to get investment advice. It would be, you know, you don't know people's interests. And if you're taking advice from an anonymous person online as what is the next hype social project, not going to make it. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, you're going to be like broke with a bunch of stuff that you don't like. So the only way I think to, you know, create value and to realize value is to find your own voice and then tell people why you like it. Like, don't outsource that responsibility to somebody else. Uh, you gotta, you gotta do it yourself. And that's generally, you know, why I think like everybody on Twitter yelling and screaming is doing it generally for their own self-interest. So yeah, go to the source, go to the markets. Totally fair. So what's your process? Are you like a like a foundation super rare browser or are you do you follow the artists that you like on, you know, their socials and see what new things they have or who they follow and get, you know, exposure that way? Or what's like the best way that like for you personally that you like to go about it? I don't collect on foundation. I don't collect on rareable. Those are, you know, I have my reasons why. I generally collect on, on super rare. Uh, I don't collect on nifty gateway. It's more about certainly artists, 
right? You can you can certainly follow artists and you can follow that like finding finding new artists is difficult in this day and age. Like quite frankly, I've I've stepped back from the majority of my collecting activity and I just have a different role in this market now. It's also hard for me because generally whenever I get a bid on something, well people just follow me and outbid me. Right. So if if I'm signal in this market, well, like the only way for me to do something is now to do it privately. So, you know, blessing and a curse, of course, I don't particularly have a speculation interest in this market anymore. You know, I've I've gotten to a place where I just care about the the creators and I care about the health of the ecosystem. And I'm doing just like more educational work and you know foundational work with the museum to be an institution that you know returns the conversation to to the arts and gives people the opportunity to find what they like and then they can go you know make the the marketplace moves that they want so can you say why you won't use some of those platforms or should we talk about this offline <laughs> i'll tell it like i thought foundation was was way too loose with their creator invite system so it's hard to just trust generally like what you find there. And they also, you know, took away all their filters. Uh, so you can't filter anything. I think it feeds just like a bad hype and FOMO mindset where you really don't know what you're getting and why you're paying for it. You're just caught up in this kind of like bidding and auction war. And again, like when Foundation came out, people already knew me. So whenever I was making bids on something, people would just outbid me, outbid me, outbid me. And it just got like expensive and ridiculous. And there was no point for me to be there. Um, I think Rarible just for my taste perpetuated too many scams. Um, again, it's just like I don't have trust in the marketplace. And then I think, you know, what Nifty Gateway did was very disingenuous I think they also kind of fed into like 2017 hype mechanisms and drop mechanisms. And I'm quite confident that they just took like the Genesis traders and kind of swept and propped up their own markets and, um, you know, created false incentives and narratives around their platform. I thought they didn't kind of, you know, they were very quick to bring on influencers at the expense of the creators and, and, you know, the people that labored for many years to even try and get a chance. So that kind of personally hurt me. And, you know, I've always thought like super rare makers place and known origin have been pretty, you know, loyal to their ideals and values and the creators. And I'm not saying it's perfect, but for me, it's just, I can trust it. I trust their, their curation. I trust, you know, the artist there. And then, you know, because I can trust the marketplace, I can trust my eye in that marketplace. Interesting. Yeah. I've never thought about it from, you know, such a deep angle. I kind of just browse wherever. So yeah, it's interesting to hear that take. I'm, I'm glad I pulled out this tweet because that sparked quite the discussion about NFT art. Well, thank you, Colby, so much for being here and for taking the time to come on the podcast and sharing all of your insights with us. I cannot wait to see where Mocha goes in the future. It's still, I, it's hard to believe that Mocha is only basically one year in because it feels like you guys have been around forever. So I'm super excited to see see Mocha take off. 
Uh, and last thing, Kobe, before you go, just tell people where they can find you if they want to connect with you personally and then remind them also where they can go to uh, to learn more about MoCA and where they can go to actually visit the museum. Let's see. I'm at Colborn Bell on Twitter. DMs are open. The museum is at www.museumofcryptoart.com, at Museum of Crypto on Twitter, at Museum of Crypto Art on Instagram. Uh, the Medium page for Museum of Crypto Art is awesome. We have a lot of good information there. And then, you know, once you start to fall down like the, the Mocha Token rabbit hole, we have our own DAP. We have some awesome staking farms that are yielding just insane amounts right now. You know, attached to that, there's, again, like a, a wiki page. There's, you know, on the Twitter profile, there's the a, a yat that has, like, all of the places broken down so people can find anything quickly and easily. Nice. And then you guys right now are on Somnium and Decentraland, right, is where people can actually go to, like, check out the museum. So on Insomnium Space, it's somniumspace.com slash parcel slash 3402. That'll take you to the web version of the museum. You can also kind of find that on the museum's website if you if you dig around. And again, that's that's also kind of on that yet page. Awesome. We will include the links in the show notes. Thanks again, Kobe, for being here. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you and thanks again for listening.